Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening and welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts, part of the Heroes Podcast Network. I'm one of your regular hosts, Gregory Bosco. And with me, as always, is Derek Mayer. But before we let him talk about himself again, we have a very special guest to the show, uh, Angie Peterson. She's the owner and of KC Ke- excuse me, KC Geeks. I don't know how I could just stutter with that. Uh, and she's also a published Star Trek author. So it's really, really cool to have her on the show. Uh, so Angie, go ahead and say a few things about yourself. Introduce yourself to our fans out there. Well, like you said, I'm Angie Peterson, and I am head geek and editor at kcgeeks.com, which is a resource hub for everything geeky in Kansas City. And like you said, uh, I wrote a book on Star Trek. It's called the Star Trek Craft Book, and it's full of 25 different crafts on that are across the various Star Trek shows. That's awesome, and I love that I've actually been talking to an un- a Star Trek author. I've always wanted to. <laughs> I've always wanted to write something, but my brain doesn't really work that well. Oh, you need to give yourself more credit. I don't know, dude. You, you, yeah. Anyways, Derek, <laughs> say hi, buddy. Hello, hi everyone. Welcome back. And this is, uh, I think, this is what our third week for our listeners out there, where we're kind of doing the whole, you know, the best of the best. We pick a topic from each season. Mm-hmm. And we're still in season one, and this season, this week we're actually talking about like our favorite alien encounter. Now wait, season one of which show for anybody uh, who... Excuse me, you're right. Season one of Star Trek The Next Generation. There we go. Yes. This is our last season one episode, so next week we'll be moving on to season two. The, the Pulaski season, for those of you out there <laughs> that, that aren't familiar. And it's a shame, because she gets such a bad rap, and it's not like her fault. We'll get to that, I'm sure. We'll get to that. <laughs> but anyways, uh, again, everybody, it's just we're we're kind of having some fun with this. You know, a couple weeks we talk about, you know, our favorite romance and, you know, kind of favorite people getting together. So this week it's the, the favorite alien encounter. So it could be anything that you could think of that happened in season one. And they did experiment with a lot of goofy alien stuff. <laughs> uh, so Angie, it's you and I that are doing the head to head this week. That's right. So Derek is going to actually be judging. So Angie, why don't you, uh, in, in case you're not familiar, what we typically do is we kind of describe our episode a little bit. We don't go through the uh, like the bit by bit like a normal review. We kind right. of just hit on the highlights. Right. Because um, when we were experimenting with it before, we it's really easy for us Star Trek fans to get into that nitty gritty. You know, sure. Why is, why is the warp, why is the dilithium chamber blue? Anyways. Right. Go ahead and introduce your show. Which, which episode did you pick? Well, for the category of Alien Encountered for 500, Alex, I would like to choose Where No One Has Gone Before. And that in that episode, um, there was 
this random Star Trek guy, <laughs> or uh, Starfleet guy, that was going around and improving uh, warp drives uh, of the various uh, spaceships and uh, Mr. Kaczynski. And uh, he came on board uh, to improve the um, warp drive of the Enterprise. And he came on with his assistant, whose name was unpronounceable, even by his own admission. Um, but he was an alien from Tau Alpha C. Um, and he was there to assist with the um, update that would uh, improve the warp drive. Uh, and when he first came on board, the assistant, uh, Deanna felt kind of an empty space as if he wasn't even there. So that was kind of mysterious from the get go. Um, and, uh, well, that, that's kind of setting it up. I'm not sure how far we want to get into it from there or, or what. That's a pretty good setup for the episode. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. You know, Kaczynski always just bothered me and i'm sure he's supposed to he's supposed to i i figure he did his job as an actor in, you know <laughs> making us not enjoy being in his space i mean it gives me hope for my future in starfleet if he can make it <laughs> i mean it, you, you would think at some point i know i love how Riker. He, he's not even on the ship for like five minutes and Riker's already given given him crap oh yep. Riker is so done with this guy but he's so pompous you know and so he just gets in his own way um, one fun thing about this episode for people who, who don't know. So the title is where, since it's where no one has gone before, it parallels the second pilot of the original series where no man has gone before. So it's kind of a reimagining of that title, which I always liked. Mm-hmm. And it's another one of our favorite MacGuffins where it's a yet another alien that Troy cannot sense. <laughs> it's like the poor woman. It's like, let her act. <laughs> But they're like, to give it some mystery, they're like, I sense nothing, Captain. Sorry, I, I got nothing. Nothing. <laughs> I mean, I think, we're, I think we're up to more aliens that she can't figure out than she can. <laughs> Troy gets much better later when they let her actually be an officer. Then she gets some interesting stories and they let her actually act. Marina Sirtis can act, it turns out, if you just let her. So <laughs> Yeah, just let her do her thing. And you can even kind of figure that out at the conventions when she's doing her talk on stage. It's like the woman, the, the woman's a hell of an actress and she looks great on screen. It's just like, just let her be Deanna Troy. Let her come up with goofy stuff about the alien. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. It, it would have been more, it would have been better if she like sensed, like, I don't know, not malevolence. That's too harsh of a word, but like, I don't well, know. Or, or even like, you know, kind of a, a halfway there. I feel like he's, he's here, but some part of him isn't or some, you know, something like that, you know, that, that he has somewhere else he needs to be or, you know, some sort of like that mm-hmm. would have worked. Like a, a shadow of an image, like a ghost yeah. or something like that. I mean, they could have gotten like poetic and stuff. Mm-hmm. Or sensing that he doesn't want to be there. He wants to be, he somehow wants to take the ship somewhere else. Something like mysterious like that because right. with them not it not with her not being able to sense him at all it, we just focus on the goofiness that is Kaczynski <laughs> and just how terrible of an engineer he is right and pretty aggressive and jerky with everybody I mean very yeah he's pretty very awful. it's like whoa tone it get down guy I understand you got a job to do but you know we do too and we're all Starfleet here so let's play nice. <laughs> I'm going to have to bring HR in here. (laughs) So, Greg, why don't you tell us a bit about your episode then? Well, I actually picked the season finale 
for season one, which was the neutral zone. And I did that because it's kind of a a fun two-parter alien type. And what I mean by that is, of course, it opens up with uh, the famous finding a random space probe that's doing space probe stuff. And Picard's <laughs> conveniently not on the ship. So it's like already it's like already some of those made those famous things Star Trek or Star Trek does to add to that tension, right? The captain's gone. They just found a probe. What does this mean? And of course, Data just inexplicably is like, "I want to investigate it because it's old." I think old. this is a missed opportunity if we don't. <laughs> exactly, and Riker's like, "Fine, whatever." What? Just... <laughs> be back by the time the boss is back. It, exactly, and it kind of reminded me of that. Of, the original Space Seed original series episode because they had the mm. historian they had the historian on board. Oh right, right. And you think that somebody like, the like only that only time ever. Yeah, the only time ever. You think somebody <laughs> like that would have had would they would have had her on or him on the Enterprise D? Right. Just the the random you know science blue shirt turns around on the bridge is like wait Commander, that's from that's from advisable. nineteen that's a nineteen ninety five cryogenic ship. Yes. But anyway, so they they find the humans on board. There's like three that are alive. But there's like 12 pods on the ship, mm-hmm. and they're all dead. So they find these three three humans <laughs> that are essentially... Which is not troubling at all. Yeah, no. not troubling at all. But they're essentially aliens, because they're from the 20th century. And I love it because it's that science fiction cliche that they froze themselves because they were all dying of something. You know, one had like cardiac myopathy or something, another one... An embolism. I, an embolism, yeah, which yeah. typically... I don't know enough about medic medicine, but if you have an embolism, isn't that pretty bad? Like that's not like like that's not something that you have and you have time to be frozen, right? It does sound bad. I don't know. I'm sure there's a I'm sure there's a nurse or a sign or a doctor out there going, "Well, Greg, you have you have 15 minutes after having an embolism to be frozen." I'm like, "Fine, whatever." And then you get the the New Orleans Louisiana guitar player who's the best in the whole episode. Ugh. But he's basically just drinking himself to death or something. Yeah, he had, like, liver issues and lung issues and, yeah. And they're all like, he did this to himself? Yeah. He he didn't want to live, but he was scared to die. Right. Yeah. Anyways, I bring them up because they're kind of like alien humans, but they're not the reason I picked this episode. I picked this episode because it was the reintroduction of the Romulans. Mm -hmm. And the main thing that made this my favorite alien encounter of season one is because... Next Generation, more so than any of the other shows, ended up teasing the threat of the Romulans for seven years. Mm. And they don't have full-blown, drawn-out battles with the Romulans in Next Generation. They don't have... It's always that tension Mm -hmm. that, you know, whenever there's a witty Picard on the neutral zone, there's like a Romulan commander that's... I hate to use the term equal, but for lack of a better term, equal in... Uh, intelligence to Picard almost. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you know, the Romulans charge over the neutral zone, and then the Enterprise does, and the Romulans, and then one episode are like, now it's you who's charging across the neutral zone, Captain. It's like they're always that counterpoint, and I love that this is the episode where they reintroduce them, and they do it in a very subtle way to pay homage to kind of the Romulans of the original series. They're always that kind of threat, but they were kind of mysterious. And then you know the the Romulans even throw in those cutting insults, where you know Picard's like or Picard and Riker and like how, we didn't destroy your outpost and the one Romulan sub commander is like oh yeah once we saw the the destruction we knew it couldn't be you. <laughs> it's just it's that little thing that the Romulans 
it's that almost that the rem, the remnant Vulcan in them where you know every so often Spock would have that one liner, sure, where you know the 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 one woman I can't even think of the episode name in the original series the woman's talking to Spock and she's like I've never met a Vulcan before and Spock's like nor I have I ever met a work of art for myself or something yeah nor, he's, nor i a work of art yes yeah and it's great... the it's the random one-liners <laughs> that spock and vulcans can do and the romulans do it in this episode and you know the romulans are like hey you know for decades we've had our own in- internal stuff to deal with the captain we're back yeah and i love that because you don't realize in season one you know season one i was like nine i think you don't realize what that means when you're watching it, and then you start watching it again. In every episode with the Romulans, there's just there's more tension, and then more tension, and then more aggressiveness, and more. We were all waiting for them to fight. You know that the, the episode, the defector with the admiral, the Romulan admiral who betrays them, and then the Romulans surround the Enterprise, and then like three Klingon warships surround the Romulans. Everybody's sitting there going, "Yes, they're going to fight. They're going to fight. They're going to fight." And no, they don't. They keep that tension for seven years. And that tension kind of starts with this episode, and I love that. Because I love those clever antagonists. I always have, whether it's books or or show or TV shows or movies, I love the clever antagonist. And, you know, Derek, you know, do all that Star Wars stuff. It's like, I know a lot of my friends love the Empire. I'm like, I actually think the Empire is kind of ridiculous. All they do is build gigantic spaceships. And they hope for the best. <laughs> and... <laughs> It's like, you know, I'm watching Hunger Games, and I'm like, President Snow's a moron. It's like you take one, two kids from every district, and you force them to fight, and you never think there's going to be a rebellion. Like, you think this is going to stop? It's like, those aren't clever antagonists, and I've always thought the Romulans are that clever kind of antagonist where they'll threaten, they're trying to go the Federation to do stuff the entire time. And I like that. I think that's, it's just, it's aggressive and assertive. And domineering in a way that's not offensive for Star Trek. They didn't turn him into like the laughing stock. Remember when they introduced a Ferengi for the first time? Ugh. And it's because oh, yeah. it's because they were hoping the Ferengi would be like a good enemy villain for Starfleet, and they're like, "This did not work. This didn't work at all." They turned out kind of Jar Jar Binksy. <laughs> they did. They were really Jar Jar Binksy. And then you see him on DS Nine, and everybody's like, "I love the Ferengi." <laughs> So I think that's why I picked the neutral zone is because even though it didn't introduce a new species, it reintroduced an old species that everybody had kind of forgotten. And, you know, I know there was the Romulan ambassador in Star Trek V, but we don't talk about that. Um, And it's just, it's good to see the Romulans back. It's good to have a good villain. It's good to have an equal to the Federation and the Romulan ships are gorgeous. Mm. And then the Romulans are always very carefully used in Next Generation where you don't get bored with them. And I think that's one of the things that some people complained about with DS9. People kind of got bored with the Dominion or Voyager with the Borg where they're like, well, the Borg aren't even a threat anymore. It's like the Romulans for seven seasons stayed a threat and they never really attacked the Federation. Like full, full, I know there was skirmishes, but there was never a full-blown, you know, Operation Retrieve site type situation with the Romulans, and I love that. Interesting. So I also thought it was interesting that like Picard was like, we don't know anything about this 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 species, and we need more information. He had Troy like go research it, and she's like, well, there's very little information, and then she kind of 
delved into like who they are as a people and you know that they are related to the Vulcans and things like that but we haven't had any contact for 53 years and then you hear from Worf and he's like well they kind of killed my parents at Kittimer so obviously he might have some knowledge about this species and like they're acting like there's no knowledge about them yeah because he you're right because he Worf even said is like they attack this when they're supposed to be our allies yeah, so I'm it's, thinking he might have a little insight. But no, they shut down Worf. I know that's <laughs> well, a, I know that's a meme out there. Is how many yeah. times Picard shut down Worf? Yeah. So. <laughs> well, so do we want since we're kind of going down this road? Do we want to focus on the neutral zone and then circle back to where no one has gone before? Sure. That's okay. Cool. So something with the neutral zone I thought was kind of interesting, and I, I haven't decided if this is good or bad yet. But the main so uh, two two things. The Romulan plot kind of mirrors the balance of terror from the original series. We have a Romulan ship that's going along our um, our star our uh, stations along the neutral zone, and they're being destroyed. But the ship stays cloaked, and we're not sure what to do about it. And rather than being drawn out for fifty three minutes, it's just part of this episode. Um, so I always thought it was kind of interesting that the very first time we see the Romulans, it's almost the exact same story. Hmm. Well, it's that, and I and I think this was retconned later when start when Next Generation really got standing on its own two feet, where the outposts were supposed to be have like been destroyed by the Borg. But then you have Q Hugh in season two, where the Borg are, they're moving towards the Federation, but they're still like, what? obviously a year away but there's someone like 30 light years away still or not 30 like 300 light years away or whatever and so it's, you when you kind of go back and rewatch a neutral zone and everybody's like oh yeah this level of destruction it's like the cities were just scooped up and the outposts were just scooped up off the planets which is like what the borg do because that's what that's what's happening in the beginning of best of both worlds and i think all that kind of got retconned later mm-hmm. i think i think for this episode it was just they wanted to introduce the Romulans, but they didn't want to introduce them in a way of, you know, big villain twirling their mustache, thumping their chest. <laughs> yeah, that's so they make a situ- true. Yeah, they make a situation where that both, both, um, I almost said empires. The Federation is not an empire, but that that both groups had to kind of deal with and think it's each other and poke at each other and tease each other. But ah, once we saw the level of destruction, we knew it wasn't you guys over in Starfleet. Come on. You can't do that. <laughs> so my my other thing for this episode is, is the Romulan plot, is it the A plot or is it the B plot? Because it feels like the B plot. It feels like B to me. It is definitely the B plot. But it's the name of the episode. It is the name of the episode. And heck, even the one, the older guy that they rescued from the cryotubes when they're talking to the Romulans, he, he's even on there going, they don't know who in the hell attacked. They're hoping you know. Yeah. It's like the dude's been on the ship for like three days and (laughs) he already understands diplomacy with the Romulans better than the half of Starfleet. Well, he's a businessman and business is the same across generations. I did kind of like that aspect where you got a sense of why he was successful at one point in existence, right? That he is good at reading people and negotiating and has probably dealt with business meetings like that. You know, um, mm-hmm. so even out of context, he could tell that these guys were stalling, mm-hmm. right? Which I'll I give credit to the to the 
the three people they saved, they adapted pretty well to being on a starship. It, nobody freaked out about that at all. And also there was no explanation of, or at least I didn't catch it, of why they were on the space probe. Well, they were on for different reasons. So the, the businessman guy who, of course, I can't remember their names at this point, but yeah. he uh, he did it on purpose. He froze himself so that way he could be cured later and be rich. Well, I knew I knew why they froze themselves, but how did I mean, why did oh. they end up on the space probe? Well, so I understood it as that it was supposed to shoot them into space. I think there was oh, a okay. they said that a thing about that. There was okay. a, a there was a line in there about how the ones that were kept in satellites were not oh, at the right. same risk of losing right. power or something like that. It was some that's throwaway right. line. The brownouts. Yes, yes. The yes, brownouts. that's right. Well, yeah. I'm going to get with Angie on this, though, because I agree with her. How in the hell did they get so far away from Earth? Yeah, I have no idea. Without, you know, propulsion and things like that. And and nobody was freaking out at, like, being in outer space. And, you know, uh, underst- even, I mean, the, the computerized aspect of everything. I mean, they the, the one guy, the uh louisiana guy did remark on you know the replicator but they weren't like how is this even possible how does this work they they weren't at all they were just like oh this is the best martini i've ever had yeah the the one <laughs> the girl she passed out when she saw war but then she immediately she immediately woke up yeah. <laughs> like like five minutes i know they changed scenes but there's right. and i and that's what's a weird thing because it's almost like this this episode is built on two b plots because <laughs> I would I would not disagree with that. That's and funny. That's an interesting th- way to look at it. Yeah, because yeah. when you think about it, they're not connected to each other. They kind of cross paths a little bit, but the show's not necessarily about the three survivors. Right. It's titled after the Romulans, but the Romulans are only in for the last five minutes. Right. But the the three survivors were really kind of like a monkey wrench into dealing with the Romulans because you know they they the businessman guy was like calling paging the the captain when they were trying to have like a senior officer meeting and he's like I can't deal with this right now so it was really just an impediment rather than like a storyline so like they were both not helping either storyline progress. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I never really thought about it that way. That's kind of funny. It's an interesting way to look at the episode now. So, okay, so we we meet the Romulans, of course. We get to we get to see them, and they seem kind of annoyed with us. Um, so I guess my my question here is: Does this episode do anything to progress the Romulans at all from where we last saw them in the original series? I would say no, personally. I mean, they they barely are introduced. They they Deanna goes through the introduction of who they are, you know, and they're creatures of extremes. They're one minute they're violent, one minute they're tender, and and they're intensely curious, and they have a strong belief in their own intelligence. And so she kind of like tells us who they are, and and you kind of get that arrogance in the communication between the two ships but other than that i mean there's there's not a lot more than that it's 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 almost like the episode was just to introduce them and that's kind of what what my preference is on enjoying it is cuz they they didn't i was it would have been so i like if this was released today 
then they somehow would have turned not not I'm not talking like Star Trek. I'm just talking like another mainstream show. They would turn an antagonist into some weird, goofy, over the top. You know, the, this species, some power or something. yeah, the some the, meta the, power. the Zen onions. They eat humans <laughs> or something. And everybody would be like, oh, okay, yeah, we, we've seen this a thousand times. And that's why I love is the subtlety of All right. that aggressiveness that, you know, the what's the, um, the one sub-commander says when Riker's like, you know, you crossed a neutral zone, blah, blah, blah. And the sub-commander's like, oh, well, we don't really need your permission. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm like, that's, well, Riker, he does kind of got you there. <laughs> I mean, they crossed a neutral zone and you're not going to do anything about it. And they know you're not going to do anything about it. True. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> so, Greg, is there anything else you want to add about the neutral zone before we give Angie an opportunity to talk more about her episode? Mainly just I'm going to end with that I love the two B plots because I love how they throw the 20th century characters in there. They're, they're supposed to be the fish out of water kind of people because now, now Starfleet's dealing with three un, you know unknowns of people they just saved off a ship. And they're dealing with that, and they're meeting the Romulans. And then we get seven years of awesome use of the Romulans. And I'm not entirely pleased with how Romulans have been handled, like, since. But that's for different topics on a different time. Now, I would like to point out that the seven years plot line does not occur in season one, which is what we're talking about. Boom. True, but without this episode, it never would have happened. All right. Interesting. Just had to to point that out. No, Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. I see. I see where this is going. That's that's interesting. I I appreciate that. That's kind of... That's fun. Okay, okay. Hey, my son was in debate, so... There. I'm good with that. I'm good with that. <laughs> that's that, that's as much as my debate knowledge as I have is you know my son was in it through osmosis. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's not. It's a good way. And he argued with me all the time. I was in debate in high school myself, so that's very interesting. Okay, I all did right. drama. <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> thank you thank you Derek you know the face and the voice for radio I get it haha ha. Uh, no th- I, I I think the voice is perfect seriously I want to like write a radio show for you to voice I don't know about that be maybe just a short story he can narrate maybe Ooh, a short story go. there we go yeah there you go speaking of short stories I just every time this is brought up I have to mention it for those who are Trekkies and love LeVar Burton he has his own podcast called LeVar Burton Reads, where oh. he, he just reads short fiction, and uh, they get special effects and background music and stuff like that for it, and they're all wonderful. So that's oh. out there. Just the plug, LeVar Burton. So, um, But, all right, so we're going to switch back over then to where no one has gone before and give Angie a chance to talk more about her episode. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. Hey there, I'm Batman, and I wanted to tell you about my friends at the Screen Heroes Podcast. They deliver sweet justice in the form of discussing movies, television, and me. They love my movies, every single one of them. Yes, even that one. 
Sometimes they even have me on as a guest, which is thrilling. You can find them at twitch.tv slash heroespodcasts. Live on Tuesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern Gotham time. If you can't tune in live, the new shows go up on places like Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Gotham Radio, Demoscura Live, and Blog Talk Radio. Now, back to your regularly scheduled Batcast. Okay, so, Angie, let's talk more about where no one has gone before. Okay, well, I picked this one because it was an episode that was very much centric to an alien species. I mean, the the alien species was the A plot or the A story, and um, it, it was about how he impacted the ship and how they, um, you know, related to what he was able to do. And Wesley kind of bonded with him and um, was very interested in him, and he was very interested in Wesley, and and that really he kind of um, talked to Picard and and put Wesley on kind of a different path. So it was very much centralized around this alien species that we had never seen before and does show up later but was standalone in season one as we are talking about <laughs> um and i i just thought it, you know it was it was a very interesting um concept very sci-fi you know that he was kind of lending his spirit or energy or whatever to propel the ship light years ahead and into this you know zone that they didn't even know what it was and so that was very sci-fi so that was very trek-like and but they didn't know that he was what was doing it and so the the mystery of it all was very trek-like and so um uh, that i to me it just really kind of epitomized a lot of of what i expect from trek um, they did kind of go down the cheesy route of channel your thoughts to bring us home, you know, it's like clap, Tinkerbell, clap. And, and so that I wasn't my favorite, but, um, otherwise I, I thought that the episode, I mean, immediately when, when I heard, the, when we talked about the topic of best alien encounter, I thought, oh, well, that's the traveler. And I'm like, yes, it's in season one. <laughs> so. So that, and that was even for most of the series, I was, I was thinking of the, he was the first uh, alien that I thought of. So. Yeah. I mean, he definitely fits the bill of alien, right? I mean, he's so alien that we can't pronounce his name. Right. Troy can't read that he even exists on our field um, mm-hmm. in our dimension. Uh, he's got these crazy abilities. Um, you're, you're totally right about some of the cheesiness. I mean, there's definitely some lines that are cheesy, like when they are, when these things are just kind of showing up, like when we get to see um, the uh, Worf's pet. Yes, the Targ. The, the Targ, yes, which is yes. really just... That's a, a cat? It's a warthog in <laughs> yeah. fur, which is still a step up from the alien dog with the horn creature that Sulu had yes. in the original series. Yes. Uh, um, but yeah, Batasha has that kind of lame line about that being a kitty cat. And like, right. it's Denise Crosby. Like, she's tough. She's the head of security. Right. Like, seeing her say kitty cat, you're like, really? <laughs> like, it just kind of yeah. makes me giggle. Um, but well, if you think about it, if it, is it the first time she's ever heard of like a Klingon pet? Right. I mean, 
I, I can't imagine that She's serving Starfleet for like t- five years, ten years at this point, right? She right. went to the Academy. I mean, Spock had a pet. I don't remember what it was called, but um, it was kind of similar to a dog. So, I mean, and that was, you know, centuries before. So, it's not like people don't have pets. Data had a pet. I mean, so. Huh? Yeah, but that was the type of cat I guess she was used to. Yes. Okay, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I would not have called, I would have called it much closer to a, you know, warthog, like you said, than a cat. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of weird. And of course, you have Picard with his grandmother, which is kind of an interesting scene as well. Yeah, I liked that. Kind um, of weird. Well, it's it's <laughs> it is a very Trek like thing, you know, where right tea in the hallway. <laughs> not necessarily the tea as much as just you know hallucinating and, and thoughts coming to to fruition. I mean, things like that happened in the original series, and of course, would happen well after this episode. Um, but the Traveler is kind of the central part of it. We talk about A and B plots, but is there a B plot in this episode? Thinking. Not really. I mean, maybe the cast and crew kind of reacting to their memories. It's a direct, I mean, it's a direct of. result of the Traveler, but it's, yeah. it, it's kind of exposing us to more of what, what the cast and crew, kind of their inner, their inner feelings on some things. True. Yeah. Or, or maybe the uh, unmasking of Kaczynski even though that's related to the alien as well. So that's what I'm saying. I feel like well, this apparently episode... Apparently he, he stays as an engineer. <laughs> that's the weird yeah. thing. Yeah. This episode kind of plays out like an original series episode. Yeah. You know, there really isn't much of a B-plot, if there's one at all. I I kind of feel like all of the stuff we're talking about are just aspects of the A-plot. I would not disagree with you. You know, so that's kind of an interesting take on it, too, is it's a different type of storytelling that Star Trek tended to get away from later on, where it had its A and B plots regularly. Um, Mm -hmm. But the Traveler is an interesting character in in himself. He is incredibly alien to us. And like the Romulans, he does come back a few times. He he comes, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a there's an arc here with Wesley. And this is the beginning of learning where Wesley ends up. He. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, this puts him on the track to join the academy, um, mm-hmm. which is also interesting. But we never really learn anything else about the traveler. This is kind of all we get from a uh, from char- a character development, or even a, in this case, a species development perspective, which is kind That's of a true. shame. It is. It is still rather mysterious. He's kind of like a MacGuffin as a character, almost. It's like <laughs> he can he can do stuff, and stuff happens, but they never explain how or why. Yeah, it was kind of squishy, as in, you know, it's his energy, and he loans his energy, and so we need the crew's energy, and, well, okay, so what exactly do you mean by energy? Like, if if yeah. we could add something, maybe we would add that, you know, why does he care about Kaczynski so much? Maybe maybe somehow that engineer saved him on, a, on an away mission somehow. He found him, and he was some, whatever. Right. You know, give, give some reason for them to be paired together, because there's honestly no reason a traveler would pick this... Right. I yeah, I was this, just thinking that. It's like why would you hang out with this guy of your free will? Are you really that dedicated to whatever your purpose is that you can just hang out with this arrogant douche? Yeah, I mean cuz he is. I mean, he's he's arrogant and he's hostile. Look what I've done. Look what I've done and I'm going to do it here, blah blah blah. Yeah, look what you didn't do at all. Even though Riker, like five minutes into the episode, had the perfect line when he's talking to Picard is like Picard, the other ship was like eighty years old. 
It's like, of course it needed a tune-up. Now it runs better. Right. I'm like, this is the flagship. (laughs) Yeah, this is the flagship. It's been in space for two years. Right. And I, I appreciated Riker's take on that because he's basically admitting that, yeah, maybe this did fix something on an engine that needed work. But our engines are brand new, so this should do nothing. Right. And, I mean, he was right. <laughs> yeah, he was right. I mean, and he's doing what a second-in-command should do. He's looking out right. for his ship before some random guy starts poking at the engine. Right. Mm-hmm. I will say it always bothered me the... Um, the rank insignia that Kaczynski has, we never see again. Oh, he must have been some special something. Maybe I don't know. Engineering rank or something, or, or maybe a consultant. Because if he's just going around from ship to ship to ship, maybe he's just like a consulting engineer. Not to be confused with a consulting detective. Maybe. It's strange because like, he doesn't have a comm badge, but he has to wear a uniform. But he doesn't have pips. He's got this other symbol. Hmm. You know, and it's just not, you know, it's not like Chief. Chief O'Brien has a different uh, rank insignia because he's a chief. And, um, you know, so it's not something like that. It's very odd. I never quite figured that out. I did not notice it, I'll be honest. Well, and if you think about it, he talks to people in Starfleet like in a, I mean, Andrew was correct. He was acting, he was an asshole. He was a douche to other people in Star Trek and Starfleet. And mm-hmm. I'm like, you, you keep imagining like, under no circumstances would Jordy LaForge ever talk to Captain Picard or Commander Riker like this. Or, or anybody. Chief, or Chief O'Brien or Scotty or you, or Belana yeah. Torres. And Belana Torres was a was a Maquis soldier. Right. <laughs> and right. she still didn't talk to Starfleet like this. I mean, yeah, she made fun of him, but she wasn't a condescending, irritating person to people. She was just a half Klingon aggressive woman, which is yes. fine. I mean, we saw the same thing with Kalar. It was great. This guy, I'm yeah, like, is, is like Picard going to write a report to Starfleet? Going, look, I don't know who this guy is, but uh, I'm telling you, HR needs to get involved. <laughs> we're, we're clearly Space not HR. supposed to like him at all, <laughs> you know. And it's not the first; it's not the first or only time Star Trek does this, where they bring in a new character who's only going to be around this one time that we're just clearly not supposed to like. Right. We're we're guided not to like him, obviously. Right? Right. And so by the end of the episode, there's there's nothing we can do but not really like him. You know, so that's kind of interesting in itself. So this is an interesting kind of question. How do you say which is the best alien encounter when you have a return of a what is really a classic Star mm-hmm. Trek alien species in the Romulans who, you know, have a, a big presence of course, in this episode, the, the neutral zone has a lot of parallels to Balance of Terror. Um, or do you go with Where No One Has Gone Before, which focuses on something completely alien from what we're used to that we don't really get to see much of um, in the future, really just this one person. And it flings the Enterprise into a part of space that is as alien as it really gets, mm-hmm. right? A billion light years from our own galaxy. Um is kind of an interesting pair, you know, pair of episodes here. They're very different, um, which makes this a little bit tougher. You know, the last couple of weeks we had best romance and best Wesley Crusher episode of season one, and um, I felt like those were easier for us to pick from. So, what if you guys each give your last like minute or two pitch for why you think yours is the better Alien Encounter episode? I was afraid you were going to do this. 
<laughs> you had to do it in debate, so you I know. know, and I wasn't in debate. <laughs> closing arguments. Wait, let me call my son. <laughs> He's is, in law school. He'll be able to help. There is no phone a friend on this show. Oh man! <laughs> well, I picked this one because, like I said, um, it was a absolutely new alien. To be true to the word alien as an unknown uh, species, um, we weren't really sure what he did, how he did it, um, and it was just kind of a, a mystery from the very beginning, and that stayed true throughout the episode. Um, and uh, we, we got to see different parts of space that also was alien to them, um, and... Uh, but at the same time, we got some character development that this new alien person, creature, uh, also brought out in Wesley. So it, it, it was able to move the entire, uh, Wesley storyline along in just one episode. The end. Very nice. Greg, what about you and the neutral zone? I think my main focus on how this episode really got Next Generation onto its two feet. I think this was the episode where, and Angie, I don't know how familiar you are with, with our with our show overall, but one of my big things I always talk about is the first couple first season and a half of Next Generation are... Oh, yeah. Oh, it's they're, painful. They're pretty painful. Oh, yes. And I've always kind of used this episode as the episode where Next Generation really gets sustained on its two feet because they're reintroducing a species that was not very used that often in the original series... It wasn't used in the movies at all at, at this point mm. uh, as a major topic, the Romulans. I mean, Star Trek V, the Romulan ambassador, she plays a media, minor role. But we don't have Star Trek VI yet with the, Romulan, with the Romulan ambassador being involved. We don't have other stories about them. And I love that they give, they reintroduced an antagonist that's not the ultra-aggressive Klingons, fight everything, do all this, do all this. Because that's so easy to do with sci-fi. You just make an... Make make the alien encounter as aggressive as possible and people buy into it because people like action. And I was very happy that they didn't do that because Star Trek doesn't need that another alien race that's just as blatantly hostile all the time. Aggressive, assertive, yes. But not openly belligerent, not openly hostile. And then we get seven years. And I know we're not talking about those seven years. But without this episode, <laughs> if this episode did poorly like the Ferengi episode did, then the Romulans probably would never have been brought back in a, in a serious role moving forward. And that's kind of the mirror I used. The Ferengi were introduced to try to be another antagonist for the Next Generation crew, and it didn't work at all. And I think they realized that the moment, that it, the moment they saw it on screen, they're like, oh God, what have we done? Why are they hissing and why are they crawling <laughs> like this and what is, go and what is going on? So that's Who let Jar Jar Binks in here? They were the worst of Jar Jar Binks. They were not good. And that's the, if, that's what I'm happy about with this episode. If they would have done that with the Romulans, we might not have seen them as often again. And then we would have missed out on all the amazing stuff we got with them moving forward. Okay. Supremely well acted by Mark Alemo as well, who is the future Gal Dukat. I know. How great is that? That's so weird to see him in there because he he does play a uh, Cardassian later in TNG, but he doesn't. It's not they're not the Cardassians that we end up seeing on Deep Space Nine. So, um, okay. 
Well, this is a tough one. Uh, I think, based on everything you guys are saying and putting it all in context, um, while the Romulans, of course, are a more significant alien species, I think that where no one has gone before is, is a better alien encounter episode than the neutral zone. Mainly because we see something brand new to to Angie's point that this is completely foreign and alien to us. There's nothing nothing like it that we've seen before. And we don't really see it much again outside of an episode or two that continues this this three episode arc with Wesley. And the neutral zone is very similar to the balance of terror and the Romulans are kind of the B plot to their own story. And we focus a lot more on just the normal humans that are just out of time. Um so I'm going to go with the neutral, uh, the the where no one has gone before over the neutral zone. Um, but so congratulations, Angie. Yeah. <laughs> I demand Sorry, a recount. <laughs> well, there's there's always a chance for you in our Twitter poll. So for those who have been following, we launch a Twitter poll a few hours after the episode goes live, allowing you, the listener, to vote for which episode you think is the better of the pair or the the matchup for that given week. And uh, you will be able to do that for these two episodes where no one has gone before and the neutral zone. So make sure you go to uh, find at red shirts pod on Twitter and vote in the poll um, and follow us there. I do have the results from last week's poll. So last week it was best romance of TNG season one. And it was, Jeremy versus myself with Greg being the judge and it was Haven versus we'll always have Paris and that's an interesting discussion I listened to that just this afternoon and it was it was pointed out things that I would not have considered about either one well done oh well thank you I appreciate that I hope other people found the found the episode interesting too Um, now if I remember correctly Greg you had voted for Haven I did vote for Haven yes which made me feel really good because uh, that's my episode. And the Twitter poll, which is now closed, is Haven with 54% of the vote. So very close. Another close one. Another close the first, one, yeah. The Wesley one was close too, wasn't it? If I remember correctly, it was pretty close. Yeah. Um, not sure off the top of my head, but it definitely was a, a close one if I remember right. So uh, let's see, I can actually pull it up right here. Uh, yeah, same actually, coming of age Got yeah. 54% of the vote. So there you go. So very close calls. Um, so make sure you go and vote in this poll, which will be up just a few hours after the episode goes live. The, the poll runs Friday through midday Monday because we usually record Monday nights. And that's uh, when this when this recording is done. So uh, that is it for our matchup. Uh, before we go, we have some other things to discuss like Star Trek news. Yeah, uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar, some crazy stuff happened with Discovery last week. The uh, The two main showrunners, Gretchen Berg and Aaron Har- Harberts, are out. And in Hollywood sense, they left the show. But if this was an actual private sector company, like we're used to dealing with, they were fired. And mm-hmm. when you read the stuff that happened with them, like the behind the scenes, the words abusive hostile and threatening were used to describe the two of them like with the writing staff to the point where like cbs paramount hr representatives were getting engaged 
And when it gets to that level, everybody gets, there's always a hostile moment at people's jobs that happens. And usually a supervisor gets engaged or whatever, and you calm things down unless it's completely egregious. This obviously hit a level of egregiousness and hostility where writers were basically going, look, either they leave or we're all leaving. And there was a, there was a witness that confirmed that uh, they would be leaning over the table, screaming expletives at the staff members. That's always fun. Over Star Trek. Yeah. Well, I mean, I hate I mean, to say I suppose it. there was a lot riding on this, this first uh, season, you know, trying out the new CBS on, you know, on demand kind of thing. And so they may have felt some pressure to perform, but that's not how you get people to perform. You bring them donuts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the good news is Alex Kurtzman is basically taking over and Kurtzman is, you know, essentially Star Trek royalty. Right. I mean, the, the, his familiarity with the show and the history and the lore of everything is, I think is pretty well known. Well, and I, I want to make sure we, we frame it appropriately. So Alex Kurtzman yeah, he's going to be the showrunner, but he's been involved with Discovery literally since day one. He was the first person officially signed on to the show. Yeah. So and there's some continuity there, really. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, he's he's pre-Brian Fuller. And I know a lot of people were, and myself included, were disappointed when Brian Fuller had to step away from the show, given his Star Trek background. Uh, but Kurtzman was there before Fuller, been there since Fuller. Uh, and was was a showrunner uh, with Aaron and Gretchen. It was the three of them as showrunners together, which is not particularly common for a series to have multiple yeah. showrunners. Right. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't think this is as bad for the show as people want to make it out to be. It's, you know, it's more of a bigger deal that the actors and crew were – being mistreated that's not good <laughs> well, right, the, gonna... the story of it rather than the results right exactly. and if you're going to make a change you do it at the season one two mark instead of the season six seven mark true well and showrunners change a lot uh for people who who may or may not follow me i i uh, i do screen heroes which is our tv and movie podcast on the network and we could follow a lot of the dc shows on the cw and they change um, showrunners from time to time. It happens. You know, Arrow has had, uh, Arrow, Flash, and Supergirl have had different showrunners. Hmm. And that happens for multiple reasons. Sometimes you are looking for a different tone. You're looking for fresh eyes. Uh, sometimes it's scheduling issues. And in a case like this, it sounds like, you know, not consolidating it down to one person uh, is less complex and convoluted, number one. And number two, if it makes the cast and crew more comfortable, then that means you're going to get better performances and better quality out of those people. Well, and at the end of the day, a lot of productions like this, sometimes you need that final person to just make a decision and move forward. You know, because right or wrong, you know, the committee approach sometimes works, but sometimes it doesn't. And even with movies, we're hearing early more and more where directors and writers are being replaced earlier or even in the case of Solo, when it's like 60% done, they're like, wait a second, whatever we're doing just isn't working. So we got to make a change. And yeah. I'm okay with it because, you know, just Star Trek, you know, I think Discovery kind of had some problems in season one. I don't think it might, I don't think it was the cast and crew. You know, they don't write the show. Mm -hmm. 
So maybe this will be a good thing. Kurtzman is that royal blood of Star Trek, and maybe, like like you both have said, he's been involved since before there was ever a Discovery anyways. Mm-hmm. He, he was one of the pitch crew with CBS to make it happen. I mean, the truth is, if, if, anyone, if you're going to be concerned about season two at all, then the real concern right now is budget. Um, they are a little more than five episodes into the season so far and are way over budget. And according to the studio, the plan is actually to siphon some of that budget from later episodes in the season. Now, this mm. can be good and it can be bad. I am a huge fan of bottle episodes, um, which if, if you're not familiar with the term, bottle episodes are episodes that tend to take place on the ship. There's no away mission. There's no space battles. This means low special effects and low cost. And that's created some really great episodes. Um, for example, uh, Voyager's, um, I believe it's called Fractured is the name of the episode where Voyager gets trapped and the ship is all split up. And if you walk around the ship, you end up in the wrong place and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can get some really cool character episodes that way. Uh, Discovery had a bottle episode. It was the time loop episode with with Mud, and I think that that was a, a lot of fun. So you can have good episodes that way, but you can also uh, end up with poor special effects and um, and you know things like that if you need big budget and you don't have it. Um, season one was eight million dollars an episode, so the sh- the show is not cheap. Um, and the latest reports, yeah, it was beautiful. It was gorgeous. Uh, and the the latest reports show that they're using six different sound stages to film season two. Sometimes using two filming crews at the same time. Um, which for TV, I mean, that's pretty unheard of. You know, a show that's like Game of pricey. Thrones would do that. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, I can't imagine that season two is any cheaper than season one. So I will have to kind of wait and see how that shakes out. Yeah. Well, you know, Duet from Star Trek DS9 was one of those bottle episodes with the lower budget. And it's one of the greatest episodes in Star Trek history, probably. It's the one about the Cardassian guy faking to be a war criminal just because he feels guilty. Mm -hmm. That's a great one. It's Mm -hmm. so who knows? This could be a great thing for Discovery. Maybe... Maybe maybe my fantasy will come true and I'll finally get my three-episode Saru-Tilly arc where they take control of everything. <laughs> well, you know, some of Star Trek's most important aspects were due to budget constraints in the original show. You know, the transporter was invented to save money on having to do shuttle shots and sets. Um, Spock looks the way he does because it was cheap. To do the ears, he was supposed to look more alien, mm-hmm. um, you know, before the show and um, and things of that nature. So sometimes you end up with very iconic things. Well, Jordy's visor was a, a hair clip. Oh, there you go. There you go. Right? Yep. Uh, doesn't get much cheaper than that. Nope. Nope. Just spray paint it. You're done. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes when budgets are constrained, you're forced to be creative and you get some amazing stuff. So hopefully that's... That's what we get with Discovery. We'll just have to see. All right. Well, I guess that's it for us. Um, Angie, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. I want to make sure we have you back on later when we take a break from this format to talk about your book. But I wanted to give you a chance to plug Casey Geeks and, and the book if you want and tell people a little bit about where they can find you. 
Well, uh, the website is kcgeeks.com. Uh, very easy to remember and very easy to find me on social because I am Casey Geeks everywhere. So Casey Geeks on Twitter, Casey Geeks on Facebook, and Casey Geeks on Instagram. So you can just follow all the geeky antics, and I try to go to a lot of different events and just cover them like Kansas City Geek Reporter and uh, make sure that people know about different events that are coming up and where they can go get their geek on with other geek-minded people. Fantastic. Well, we'll definitely have you back on the show. I guarantee that. So thank you. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. It was always fun to talk about Trek. Oh, definitely. That's that's why we try and do it every week. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Greg, where can people find you? Uh, I can be found on Yahoo and Twitter at the underscore bittersteel. And Angie, I want to echo what Derek said. It was great having you on. Hopefully you'll want to join us again. Maybe uh, Absolutely. work on some ideas and some pitches and maybe design an episode and we'll do whatever you have on mind or something. Okay. We'll make it interesting. Yes. I can hear I can hear Derek's panic in his brain right now. He's like, wait, wait, wait. I have an approach, Greg. There's an approach to this. No, this is this is great. I have no pro- we've we've mixed things up. I have no problem with that. As long as I know so I can be prepared for the episode. That's all that's important. We'll tell so. you three minutes in advance. You'll be good. All right. <laughs> maybe even four. Maybe. Maybe. You can use your Google foo and My Google foo. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I am the Star Trek dude on Twitter and Facebook. We are Red Shirts and Runabouts. We have a new Twitter account at Red Shirts Pod, uh, which we are starting to use so you can focus just on Star Trek if you're not too interested in our other shows. So please give us a follow and don't forget to vote in the poll for this episode, whether or not you think the uh, episode where no one has gone before or the neutral zone is the better alien encounter of TNG season one. And next week we'll be back with season two, but uh, we'll have to uh, tell you what the topic is later. Cause we have not picked it yet. <laughs> Spontaneity. Absolutely. All right. We'll catch you guys next week. Okay. Bye-bye. See ya. Red shirts and runabouts is part of the heroes podcast network. The show is hosted by myself, Gregory Bosco, along with Jeremy Munkin and Derek Mayer. The theme song is by Flying Killer Robots. You can find us as well as other Heroes Podcast Network shows at heroespodcast.com, as well as on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Google Play, and anywhere you can use an RSS feed. Follow us on social media at Heroes Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch. And you can also email us at contact at heroespodcast.com. Engage. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.